0: Oh, greetings! Good to see you all, <coughs> and to be here. I don't think there's really much to announce. Brian says Sam's dad's improving pretty rapidly, and doesn't want to sit around. He <laughs> likes to be busy, so he's he's working at it. So that's good news. At least, if I was hearing all you were saying, that's the way it sounded. Well, let's go back to the book of Lamentations. It's so much fun. <laughs> I, I just had a thought this morning. I'm sure glad it's not like the Psalms, 150 chapters of it, uh, or even Jeremiah itself is 52 chapters. <clears throat> but uh, this one only has five. The first three and a half were pretty harsh. Jeremiah lamenting everything that had happened to Israel, to Jerusalem, to the temple, to everything being burned down that really was of God, and God allowed that, Uh, and why is because of the sins of Judah and Israel, and we are far more important than, say, Solomon's temple, or... The city of Jerusalem, the physical city, because we're spiritual types. And it's the people God is concerned about. He's not trying to make a temple or a city uh, a part of his kingdom. That doesn't mean anything. Just physical edifices, physical buildings don't mean a thing to God, really. And he says he's not going to dwell in those. Ultimately, he wants to dwell in us as a spiritual temple. So, yes, he did put his glory in them, but that wasn't the goal. That wasn't the purpose. What he wanted was an obedient people. And as a result of disobedience of the people, he caused Jerusalem to be knocked down, the temple to be burned and destroyed, uh, as a lesson to the people that those physical things were not and should not have been that important to them in comparison to God. He was to be worshipped. People tend to be materialistic and worship certain things here on the earth, be it their homes or public buildings or church buildings or whatever, in place of God. And that's where Israel had gone. And God caused those things to be destroyed and then taken into captivity as slaves as punishment for that. Now, we'll see a little later here, God does not, as he says in another place, tempt any man. God does not tempt. Uh, Our nature tempts us. Satan tempts us. And when we give in to that temptation, ultimately God chastens. So that's what this book is about, is the sin had occurred because of their own temptation, and now he was chastening, punishing, sending into captivity as a result. And that was to be a 70 year captivity. God made it very clear through Jeremiah it was to be a long one, and the one prophet that tried to say, Oh, it's a short one, don't worry about it, it'll be over, uh, died. And Jeremiah said, go ahead, build houses, establish your lives as slaves in obedience yet to God. And that was the proper call. But this was written right after the destruction occurred and just as they went into slavery. And it certainly is a lament. He did give us some relief, and that's where I stopped last week, here in chapter 3. Uh, verses 20 on down to 26, that God gives us hope. He gives us a fresh start every morning, and certainly we need it because we fall short of being like God is every day. And we have things to repent of, apologize for, ask for forgiveness every day. Some thought, some action, some attitude is ungodly, because none of us have gotten to the point, well, maybe if you have, uh, keep it to yourself, I don't want to hear about it, it'll sound self-righteous. If you've gotten to the point where you make it through a whole day without any kind of wrong attitude or wrong reaction, wrong emotion, uh, contrary to God, you're the first, uh, if you can do that. And Christ is the only one. And it says clearly he was the only one. So every one of us has something to be ashamed of, if we even think about it or know it. Sometimes we can let stuff go through our head that we don't even notice. Uh, We can have attitudes that we don't stop and define. What is that attitude? Uh, Some simple little thing our neighbor, let's say, where we don't love them as much as we love ourselves, or show that we don't love God above ourselves and above anything. So any of that falls short of the standard, and we all go there. Now this nation, Judah, Israel, had gone into egregious sin. We'll read some more about it here in a little bit. And they had to be punished very, very severely Because people don't change easily, unless it's for the worse. For the better, it's very, very difficult for people to change. And God has to sometimes chase them very severely to cause the change. Now, he's done that with the church, and it's almost obliterated it, to get a few to repent, truly repent. And he's going to do the same with the nation first, Uh, And then the whole world. There's a lot of death and destruction just ahead of us because of the disobedience of all mankind. But he put Israel first to be the example nation, and we have failed very miserably. We lead the world in sin, if that's possible. And I think it is, like Sodom and Gomorrah. So we get the first punishment. And then it'll come down on the rest of the world. So Jeremiah is not speaking through his hat here. This is a prophecy of the end time, and he's treating what he just saw in the nation of Israel uh, as a written prophecy for those upon whom the ends of the world will come. So what we've seen in the church he nailed. What we're about to see in the nation, he nailed. He didn't get it wrong. You watch. Uh, We've experienced it in the church, so we know. The nation hasn't experienced it yet, and they don't know. But they're sure going to find out in a very, very rough way. But he gives us hope here in the middle. And he said, he recalls, (coughs) uh, God Remembering his affliction and his misery, uh, and he has that in remembrance, and he's humble. He's telling us right here that though we were self-righteous and proud and lackadaisical, that we are to be humble. and that's what all this trouble in the church is about is to humble us before God, to get us to turn it around and worship Him with zeal. And energy and careful obedience. That's what this is all about. is to get us to respond in a righteous, holy way, and become righteous, holy people, not proud of our obedience or our deeds or our works, which is self-righteousness. He says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. just do things good, do things good for people. Don't brag in your own mind, and don't brag to others about all the good stuff you do. Just quietly do it, like you quietly pray in your closet without announcing to everybody how much prayer and Bible study you got. Um, That's just self-righteousness. That's pride. That's vanity. We're to be humbled. Just quietly serve God. Do the things He wants us to do. And keep it to ourselves. If somebody wants to compliment you, fine. But don't suit your own horn. Uh, That's what people tend to do. So this all came about to create humility and meekness. He says, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. He knew that if he would be humbled by the things that had happened... He had hope in God and hope in the kingdom. And I'm reading it again because it's the (laughs) most hopeful thing in the book. It is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed. He says, if God gave us what we deserved, we would have all been dead. Instead, they went into captivity. Because his compassions fail not. His mercy endures forever. whole chapter saying that in the Psalms. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, Christ himself said he would never leave us nor forsake us, and that really is an echo of what is said right here. God is faithful. Uh, we are not is the problem. We might have some faith. We may be partly faithful, or faithful part of the time, but uh, we're not fully faithful You know, a husband or wife who only steps out on their mate every other month or so, uh, you can't say is really faithful. (laughs) They're faithful part of the time, but not all the time. And God wants... He is always faithful. He never fails. And we are working toward being faithful to Him the way He is to us. And all this punishment that came on ancient Israel on the church and now is coming on the nation is for that purpose. He will never leave or forsake us, but he will paddle us good. That he will do. Hebrews twelve says that's what he'll do. If he loves you, he'll chasten you. And he loves the church. And he chastened it terribly. He loves the nation. When you see what's about to be unleashed, you'll think, God can't be loving in this nation. Well, that's tough love. Sometimes there's gentle, kind love, and sometimes tough love is called for and has to occur for people to get the point. We can't just say the smooth and easy things. Somebody said last week or the week before, I really got uh, strong. I said, that's my job what I'm here for. I can't always be gentle and say sweet things. Isaiah says in so many words, cry aloud and spare not. Tell my people their sins. And if Jeremiah writes them, I got to tell them the way he wrote them because that's coming straight from God. The, The pages of the Bible don't make an audible noise. But boy, is that message strong. And to audiovisualize it, then I have to put it in the same way that Jeremiah does. So I don't apologize for getting strong once in a while. Um, God does, hopefully at the right times in the right places with the right people. And this certainly was with the right people, and it was with the church. And if you look around this nation for him to get strong with it, it's absolutely required. Nobody's going to listen to anything unless they're facing starvation, famine, slavery, and death. Then they'll begin to listen. Finally bow their knee. But that's just what it takes with humans. We're tough nuts. We really are. Hard to crack. So God says, okay, you're tough to crack, I'm tougher. And I'll crack you. Every knee will bow one way or another. If it bows on its own, wonderful, and has to be broken, that's okay too. Whatever it takes, he says. It is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed. Uh, his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. Then he says, the eternal is good to them that wait for him and to the soul that seeks him. That's what he's after, to wait for him and seek him. That's what this is all about. It's what this whole book is all about, the book of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, all of them. Okay, verse 26. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the eternal. So here he tells us what our posture, our attitude, our approach, the way we think should be. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait. Not impatiently, not frustrated, not upset, just quietly wait and hope. What else can we do? Here we are. We've been torn apart, decimated, messed up, confused, misused and abused. So, who do you fight? Doesn't do any good to fight the people who did this to us. Doesn't do any good to fight Satan and his demons. They're a lot stronger than we are. You can rebuke them, but you don't need to get in a fight with them. That doesn't do any good. They'll beat you. The only one that can save us out of this is God. And he'll do it when the time is right. So our posture and attitude is quietly wait and hope, like Habakkuk did. It doesn't do any good to say, how long, O Lord, which he did, and get frustrated No, just sit back and say, God knows what he's doing. I'll wait for him. I'll not get discouraged. I'll not get frustrated. I'll just wait. And when the time is right, boom, he'll do the things he's promised. He will do. It's that simple. We are the ones that have to control ourselves. Let me use an analogy. Does it do any good for a horse or a cow to fight the rope or a goat anything you put a rope around wants to pull back set all four feet plant them like he says Ephraim is is a backsliding heifer there in Hosea and you fight that rope I like an animal that you can put a halter or a rope on, and they'll just quietly and placidly follow wherever you lead. They have come to the point that they realize fighting it isn't going to do any good, that they might as well comply and be gentle and follow you wherever you want them to go. Now, God's doing that with us, and he is going to do it with our nation, He wants us to quit fighting it and just follow along in His way. It's easier on Him, and it's easier on us. We don't get half strangled because we're trying to go that direction when God wants us to go this direction. Surrender, comply, and just go His way. But human nature fights it because we want to go all these other different ways. And He's saying, no, this is the way Walk you in it. And I'll gently lead you if you'll gently follow. I had an old mare. I've told about it, I think, before. She did not like horse trailers. She would fight you to the point of strangling to death, falling down on the ground. She would not get in that trailer. You could tie her up there, and you could beat her on the rear end with a tube forward she wouldn't go in. And this would go on for like 30 minutes. And then she would just walk in. She finally would get to her head, this is going to continue until I get in that trailer. But boy did it take some doing to get her in there one way or another. She was a nice gentle horse. You could ride her, she didn't bug, it was just... She would lead wonderfully anywhere you wanted to go, but she didn't like that trailer. I don't know, if something might have happened when she was young where she had a traumatic situation with a trailer. I don't know. But it was traumatic to load her for you and her both. And when we pull against the reins with God and want to go this way or that way, it's traumatic for Him and it's traumatic for us. And finally, He says, Okay. The two before is next. And then he applies it. Now, he, he'd, he'd rather chasten us gently and have us get the message. But humans have trouble with that. Sometimes we have to be brought up pretty short before we'll get the message. But he won't give up on us. His mercy never fails. We just need to hope and quietly wait and comply with what he wants. It's really pretty simple, in theory, to say, okay, I'll comply. I will obey. But we, our nature gets in the way. We get selfish. We get greedy. We get lustful. We get covetous. We get all the things humans get. And then we face trouble. That's the way it is. So he says, instead of that, why don't you just hope quietly wait, Obey and God will bless you. So let's go on from there. It gives us some great hope. Verse 27 It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth, that he has responsibilities, that he has duties, he has chores to do, he has some difficulty in life because that helps mature the emotions. It helps them understand that as they grow into maturity and adulthood, that they can't just sit around and play games on computers their whole life. In our society today, very, very few bear a yoke. Uh, they don't have chores. They don't have house cleaning. They don't have to clean their own room. We tried to hire a guy just recently. Okay, I'll be there. Then here comes this text at 4.30 in the morning. I got sick in the night. I can't be there. He didn't get sick. He'd been playing games till 4.30, and he was on his way to bed, and therefore he couldn't come into work because he'd been up all night playing games. You run into this all the time with kids these days. He was 21 years old. But he's still chained to those video games. No, he should be bearing a yoke. I was talking to somebody the other day who is an employee. of my son. And he said when he was five years old, his mother had him working. And he said if she didn't have something for him to do, he went and worked for somebody else. For free. To have something to do other than play games like his friends were. And he could see it was leading to nowhere. And he's a worker. He shows up, he works. And God just says, that's the way it ought to be. We got a whole generation of people now that, well, I had it so rough, so I'm going to take it easy on my kids. No. No. He sits alone and keeps silence because he has borne it upon him. If he's borne the yoke when he's young, then he sits quietly instead of having all the answers and he realizes, you know, I've had to learn things and others have to learn things and it doesn't do a bit of good to be on them all the time. Uh, They all got to learn. He puts his mouth in the dust, if so there may be hope. Or if so, there may be hope. He learns to work and shut up. You know, just shut up. Because a lot of people are going out trying to change everybody else, being busybodies, getting upset with other people over the way they do things, because they ought to do them the way they do it. Every, I'm right. Everybody ought to do it my way. Says Everybody. No, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. And one way is not necessarily wrong. I've skinned cats. I've skinned them from the head back, and I've skinned them from the tail forward. (laughs) I don't mean house cats. I mean lynx and bobcats and that kind of cats, but... I found that there's more than one way to do it. In any case, you get the hide off, and then you can send it to the taxidermist, and everything's fine. This guy right here might do it just the opposite of the way I am. So what? To get the job done, it doesn't matter. Why do we think everybody has to do everything our way? No, we should be bigger-minded than that. We shouldn't be so small-minded we think we have all the answers, because we don't. He gives his cheek to him that smites him. He is filled full with reproach. He's kind of changed here. Instead of just saying everything God has done to them or to us, now he's saying the things that are good for a young man to go through so that he learns and is responsible later on. You don't resist. Somebody smites you. What did Christ say? Turn the other cheek. He didn't say get upset, don't get defensive, don't get proud, be full of ego, and get mad at them because they correct you or chasten you. That's the wrong response. Pride, ego, and vanity are totally the wrong response. God says, I hate pride. And yet we have a whole world that is proud and proud of it. Athletes are always talking about how proud they are of how good they are. Uh, So are scholars, so are carpenters, so is everybody. We all have our personal pride. And boy, don't tell me I'm wrong about anything, because my ego will rise up and I'll get defensive, and there's no room for that. We're here to learn meekness and humility. And James even tells us, if we didn't, if we did something and take it patiently, uh, that's expected. If we didn't do it and are corrected for something we did not even do, then God finds that acceptable to Him. Just this last week, I've been accused of all kinds of things that I didn't do at all by someone who's taken the reins and decided they want to do everything their way, not here, uh, but I've been accused of all kinds of things to try to get me put in jail, things that I had no idea of doing or wanted to do, <laughs> but somebody's trying to do it. Okay, take it patiently. doesn't do any good in getting angry about it. Just tell the officer... I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Prove it. Show me some evidence that I did that. There is none. Because I didn't do it. So, what good does it do to get upset? My ego, uh, uh, my pride, rise up and defend myself? No. Just say, no, I didn't do it. Sorry. you think so, prove it. Then I'll go to jail. Okay. Can't prove it because there's no evidence at all because it didn't happen. Any of it. Oh well. Did I get upset with somebody and tell them some truth? Yeah. But that's my job. (laughs) You know, that's my job. Uh. Give his cheek to him that smites him. He is filled full with reproach. For the eternal will not cast off forever. Now, there's an encouraging statement. God will punish, but he it's not permanent. He will punish or chasten. And when you learn the lesson, he'll let up. We're slow learners, so it's taken, taken him a long time to let up on the church. He hasn't completely yet. But he's getting to that point, I think. And his chastening is coming down on the nation now. But though he caused grief, yet will he have compassed compassion according to the multitude of his mercy. God may bring grief on you, that's right, but he will also show mercy and compassion. For he does not afflict willingly, or my margin says, from the heart. God does not correct from the heart nor grieve the children of men. That's not his attitude or his approach. There are a lot of churches that think God is a harsh, angry monster. No, he's not. He gets angry, but his general attitude day in and day out and millennium after millennium is to be kind and loving and compassionate and merciful. And only occasionally does he get, because of people's conduct, uptight and really lay it on and that's what he's done for us and so we need to be responding the way Jeremiah says and understand that God is loving and merciful and he will uh, pardon and he will forgive he does not afflict from the heart nor grieve the children of men to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth is he going to crush everybody Yes, but that's not his attitude and he doesn't want to. Doesn't want to. People say to their children, this hurt, This is going to hurt me worse than it's going to hurt you. And the kid says, yeah, I'm the one getting the paddle. What do you mean? But from a parental standpoint, I never got pleasure out of smacking my kids around. <laughs> it wasn't fun to paddle them. I didn't laugh and point at him and say, oh boy, let's do that again. That was fun. No, it it does hurt you because you don't like to see your kid hurt. But on the other hand, you don't like to see him spoiled and disobedient and doing his own thing all the time and won't listen and won't obey because that carnal human nature is there from little bitty all the way up. And you have to deal with it just as God deals with it with us doesn't want to, but he has to for the sake of the child. You know, God could just hands off, forget you and me. He's lived pretty happily for eternity with his son and all the angels and singing around his throne and the 24 elders. He could say, oh, I've had it with them. Let's just get rid of the burden. (coughs) He came really, really close to that back in Noah's day. Why in the world did we do this? Let's just wipe them out and get on with our lives, which were wonderful till they came on the scene. Well, Satan's rebellion and then us on the scene, both things. But he can imprison Satan where he can't show any influence, and he will. And right now, he's toying with the idea of just wiping everybody out. And being done with this. But he has a problem. He has had a few through history who have obeyed him. So there has to be a resurrection of the dead. And humans have to be in his kingdom after all. And he's looking for a few more like that. Namely you and me. And he says, if I didn't intervene or cut it a little short, there'd no flesh be saved alive. And he's almost tempted to push that button. If he was back in Noah's day, he is today. If he was in Sodom and Gomorrah's day, at least on that small area, just wiped it out. There's no hope for these people. Second resurrection is when they'll have their chance. I'm done. So here comes fire and hail and brimstone, and even somebody that looked back, thinking there was something to be retrieved, something there she'd missed, something there, maybe a relative, maybe one of her kids, I don't know. So she looked back and turned into a pillar of thought. God says, don't look back on this world in the way it is. Move forward. So he doesn't crush people willingly. Verse 35, To turn aside the right of the man before the face of the Most High. God won't meddle with our rights. We have a right to live the way we want to live, hopefully His way. And then we can be given some wonderful rewards. But if we decide we'll go the other way, He's just leaving mankind alone. Time and chance happens to them all. The only ones that He is truly interested in and caring for and working to deliver are those who have turned to him. The rest of the world, he's leaving them alone until he lowers the boom, which will be soon. To subvert a man in his cause, the eternal approves not. Who is he that says And it comes to pass when the Lord commanded it not? You, you can't Outguess God. Whatever He commands is going to happen. Whatever man says, eh, maybe, maybe not. Out of the mouth of the Most High proceeds not evil and good. Does it? He's tell you straight. Yes, yes, no, no. He doesn't say evil. He doesn't. He is not evil thinking. To us who are evil by nature, evil thinking comes natural. Uh, negativity toward others, suspicion of others comes natural. It's just, it's just something that's there in our humanity. You know, I, I brought peaches to people yesterday, or the day before, and I've given them a price, 25 bucks. And I got there and they said, well, the right type pieces that we've been selling for 25, we don't have many of right now. So we raised the price to 30. And I immediately thought, maybe I'll just cover that $5 on all those boxes myself. Uh, so I don't have to tell them the price went up and somebody might think, well, he's just helping for his gas money to raise it five on his own. The reason I thought that is because that's the way a lot of people think. I didn't think anybody here necessarily would. But when you're used to the way people are, I said, okay, I'll save the receipt and show them that that's what they charged me. I I didn't add five bucks for my lunch (laughs) or whatever. Uh, But our nature is that way. We get suspicious. We impute motives. We think somebody must be thinking. And that's some of the charges that were brought up against me this week. Is he must be. No evidence whatsoever. But he must be or must have done this. No, that's just your negative, suspicious mind thinking I think like you do. And I I wasn't. Now, I'm capable of it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I can't do that. But in this case, I hadn't done anything that I was accused of. Nothing. But that's the way people are. But God does not subvert anybody. Uh, 39. Wherefore does a living man complain a man for the punishment of his sins? Now, why is God dropping this on me? Well, you might stop and think why. Uh, Did I do this, this, this? Did I think that? Why is trouble coming on me? Trouble generally doesn't come with us without a cause of some kind. Uh, Now, circumstances or accusations can occur when you haven't done it, like I was just telling you. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's one of his official titles. And God still allows him on a daily basis to go before the throne of God, that place of holiness, and he allows the most unclean being on the in the universe to go to his throne still to make complaints against us. Now, a lot of those complaints that he makes are real. We did it. A lot of the complaints and accusations he makes are not real. Didn't he make some pretty strong accusations against Christ when he had the temptation? Yeah. And none of them were true. But Satan is officially the accuser of the brethren. And if you tend to be an accuser, you're always looking at things and saying, well, so-and-so must have done that, or he must have been thinking this. You're getting in the realm of Satan. That's the way he thinks. That needs to be stopped. We should not allow ourselves to think that way. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe even don't doubt a lot of times. We've learned that. (laughs) We learned that from our very youth because people weren't perfect and people didn't do what they said and they did what they wouldn't say. So we became suspicious. We became skeptical. We became negative because of what we saw around us. And God says, don't be that anymore. Be positive. Be uplifting. Be encouraging. So somebody has a problem. It's no biggie. Encourage them and pray for them to overcome the problem, whatever it might be. Why do we complain about punishment for sin? Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the eternal. So instead of complaining about punishment God might put on us, Repent. Don't do that anymore. Change that attitude and everything's fine. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. You have trouble? You get chastened by God? What does he say there in Hebrews 12? He says, Don't let your hands hang down. Oh, woe is me. God's punishing me. He says, Lift up your holy hands and praise Him that He's straightening you out. Because if the chastening yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness, Paul says, then mission accomplished. And you can raise your hands and thank God for the correction. That attitude's not easy to come by. But it can be. And parents make a terrible mistake when they punish a child... And that child gets surly or sour or bitter or has a negative attitude. Now, if that kid's there with a negative attitude and is still arrogant and rebellious in attitude, maybe they quit what they were doing, but they still got the attitude. It's a crime to leave a child in that attitude. It's a sin to leave a child in that attitude. you haven't done your job, the sin of omission until that child changes his attitude and becomes sweet and lovable, you're not done. Maybe you got the noise to cease, maybe you' got the actual disobedient thing to cease, but as long as that kid's in a negative sour rebellious, snotty attitude. you got to stay with it until they change the attitude. That's what God does. That's what He does. I Many times, I've had I had my kids when they were little, I'd paddle them, get an attitude. Well, okay, I see we're not done. Bend over. Let's finish this. And I stayed with it. Until they would sit in my lap and say, Daddy, I love you. You're not done until the attitude changes and they become sweet and obedient and loving. Then you finish the deal. Now, it hurts your feelings, I know. You don't like to punish, and it bothers you. you got to do it until the attitude changes. God is going to keep laying it on the church until the attitude changes. Now, 10%, he says, will come to have that loving, sweet, obedient attitude toward him, and he will call them to finish the end-time work. But he said 90% of them are going to go... And they'll have to go into the tribulation, be persecuted, and probably martyred. Hopefully they repent and become sweet and loving toward God before the head comes off. Some will, some won't. So he's not going to be done until you are either repentant or dead. One of the two. I had that with my son once. He was not going to obey. That lip came out. All I did was say, come here. I wanted to hold him in my lap and love him a little bit. He wasn't very big. He just wouldn't come to me. I don't know how long that went on. An hour, hour and a half. i pick him up, paddle his behind, sit him back down. Come on. He finally got so tired that he couldn't hold out any longer. And I says, come here, and he just leaned forward. (laughs) But leaning forward was compliance. And I picked him up and held him and loved him because his attitude had changed. Had he won that battle and not come to me, I would have had all kinds of problems thereafter because a kid that big one, and would think that he could always win. You can't afford to let him win. God can't afford to let us win and keep a rebellious attitude, selfish and human nature presiding. If he's going to have us in his kingdom, we've got to be sweet and loving. No pride, no ego, humility and meekness and love. That's all he wants all i wanted out of my son and when he leaned forward and when he did get in my arms then he hugged me because his will had been broken and he submitted to my will and mine was correct his was wrong now he's a grown man sometimes he's right and sometimes i say okay Why do we complain? Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the eternal. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. Thank you, God, for life. Thank you for breath. Thank you for skies and trees and all the wonderful things you've made for us. It's hard to raise our hands and thank Him for goat heads and foxtails. Thumbleweeds. Why do we have those things? Because we disobeyed and got kicked out of the garden and that other stuff was out there for us. It's our fault we deal with those things, not God's. For those who will obey, He's going to take those things away. The little micro-kingdom He's setting up during the time of the witnesses and the Faithful 10% aren't going to have those things. They'll be gone. Only good things. Because he wants to show the whole world that he can give good things. And the witnesses will be able to point to those things and say, Here's what you'd have if you'd obey God. And they'll say, "Mm, Won't do it. All right. Here's some more punishment that will continue until most of them are dead. Lift our hands to God. We have transgressed and have rebelled. You have not pardoned. Well, as long as we're in a rebellious attitude, he's going to lay it on until we get humble. He does the same thing with his children here on the earth that we are required by God to do with our children. He says, if you don't paddle them, you don't love them. He says that. So many words. Don't let them off. Demand a correct attitude. You have covered with anger and persecuted us. You have slain, you have not pitied. You have covered yourself with a cloud that our prayers should not pass through. He doesn't listen to sinners. He wants us to repent and quit being sinners, and then he'll listen to us. You have made us as the offscouring and refuse in the midst of the people. Isn't that what we are as a church? Looked upon as a stupid, weird cult. And being out here and believing some of the things we believe make us Weird, crazy people to most of the rest of the church. I'm one of the craziest people in the church. Didn't you know that? According to their assessment, anybody that would think Jerusalem's not in the Middle East is plumb crazy. Trouble is, I proved that it is here. And I can't unprove that because there's too much evidence. And on and on it goes. You have made us as the off-scouring and refuge. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and a snare have come upon us, desolation and destruction. And this little cloud of, of accusation and persecution I got this last week was because we're out here trying to obey God in the desert and have left the city in Babylon, and people hate that, and they don't like it that we did that. So, when their kids get involved, and this is usually the case, they do everything they can to besmirch and put the church down. That's just the way it works because they don't like what their parents are doing. They didn't like it when they moved out here and they never did learn to like it. (laughs) A few did and moved out here too, but not very many. (laughs) enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and a snare has come upon us. Desolation and destruction. My eye runs down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eye trickles down and ceases not without any intermission. We're just the confusion and oppression and chastening that we have been feeling for the last 30 years. Uh... Never lets up. <laughs> There's something to wail and cry about all the time. Uh, and yet God says, put those feelings aside and wait patiently and hope for me. If you'll obey me and serve me, you'll come out of this smelling like a rose. My trickles down till the Lord look down and behold from heaven. Until he does. And he will. Says it. That's what that's saying. My eye afflicts my heart because of all the daughters of my city. He wasn't just upset about what was happening to him, but what had happened to the whole people. My enemies chased me sore like a bird without cause. They didn't have any cause to send Jeremiah to the the dungeon, to the pit. All he did was tell them the truth. You sin greatly before God, and you're going to go into captivity. He didn't do anything wrong, but they didn't like to hear that, so they threw him in a dungeon. Sounds like it was more of an outhouse hole, and it was just a regular dungeon. With no reason. No real reason. Just that they didn't like what he was bringing as a message from God. They cut off my life in the dungeon and cast a stone upon me. He was in the dungeon and he couldn't get out. Waters flowed over my head. Then I said, I am cut off. Where did the waters come from? Did it rain too much and come in the dungeon? Or was he in a big outhouse hole and he had water coming down on his head? May have been. I called upon your name, O Lord, out of the low dungeon, the really bad one. You have heard my voice. Hide not your ear at my breathing, at my cry. So he, indeed, was righteous and was getting accused and punished anyway. So you can be guilty or not guilty. Just depends on the circumstance. I've always had an expression, well, you got the right guy, but for the wrong reason <laughs> you know you, you you got me for something I didn't do, but you don't know about what I did do, so they've always there's always something they could get you on, so as far as being a sinner is what I'm trying to say, there's always something you're guilty of that they could have brought if they knew about it. So they brought stuff against you that they thought was right that was wrong. So I boil it down to you got the right guys for the wrong reasons. In other words, they could come and say, you did this, 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 and this, and you could say, no, I didn't do any of those, but I did do this, which you're not too likely to volunteer. (laughs) That's okay, you don't need to. He says, You've heard my voice, hide not your ear at my breathing, at my cry. He knew he hadn't done what they had accused him of and thrown him in the dungeon for. So he knew God was hearing him. You drew near in the day that I called upon you, you said, Fear not. He was still in the dungeon, but God said, Don't fear. We're still under persecution and scattering, but God says don't fear. Trust me. Oh, Lord, you have pleaded the causes of my soul. You have redeemed my life. Now, he was there, and they had left him there very long, he would have died of privation, of starvation, of uh, disease. In those dungeons, they were filthy and full of germs. Germinators. O oh Lord, you have seen my wrong. Judge, judge you, my cause. You know everything I have or haven't done wrong. I want to leave it to you, not to them. You have seen all their vengeance and all their imaginations against me. They had imagined things about Jeremiah that were not true. We were talking about that a little earlier. You have heard their reproach, O Eternal, and all their imaginations against me. The lips of those that rose up against me and their device against me all the day. You know I've been falsely accused, he said. Behold, they're sitting down and they're rising up. I am their music. (laughs) They go about their lives, rising up, sitting down, doing their thing. And me in the dungeon is music to their ears. If I were out of the dungeon and still telling them about themselves, they wouldn't like that. But me being here, in this dungeon, is music to their ears. There are people who might not mourn if one of us died. That might be music to their ears. Oh, they're not breathing anymore. Wonderful. The world's a better place. There are people who have attitudes like that. (coughs) And Jeremiah was dealing with them. Uh, The lips of those that rose up against me and their device against me all the day. Behold, they're sitting down. I am their music. Render them a recompense, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. We don't take vengeance. God does. And he asked God to take care of this. Give them sorrow of heart. Your curse to them. David said much the same words over and over in the Psalms. Persecute and destroy them in anger from under the heavens of the eternal. He was judged without a cause, and he said, You take care of it, Father, just like we would avenge our own children if they're misused or abused. What time is it? I was going to try to finish this book today, but I I get... Busy expounding instead of just reading, but that's okay. We go to a lot of different things, and they're worthwhile things to consider. Out of what he's having to say, Uh, nearly two after two. I'm not going to stop in the middle of this. Jeremiah did make it only five chapters. It's short, Uh, like I said. This kind of thing can't be too long, but there are a lot of lessons in here and a lot of attitudes that we can look in and see and talk about, and talk about ourselves and how it applies to us. So it's not just a matter of saying how bad Israel and Judah was and how God treated them. It's a matter of us understanding how it applies today and to us and is about to to this physical nation. So I think I'll go ahead and just stop right there at the beginning of chapter 4. And next week I will be sure that I get through the rest of it, God willing.